me if you'll be turning there. John chapter number 13. It is good to see you here on this frigid, frigid Sunday morning. Aren't you thankful for a heater today? God blessed us with a great heater here in our church. And if it stops working, you know, the Bible says in Deuteronomy 4 that our Lord is a, com- uh, a consuming fire. So you get closer to the Lord, you'll get warm. That's spiritual right there all day long, okay? If you're cold, you're not close to the Lord. That's just Bible all day long, Deuteronomy chapter 4. Go read it. Just kidding with you. John chapter number 13. If you're there, let's stand together. And when you stand, you know, it's a little bit of motion. It helps keep you warm, okay? So I'm helping you stay warm as well that way. John chapter number 13. I want you to look down to verse number 36. We're picking up the end of this chapter here. Uh, A lot of things are about to transpire. A lot of things have just transpired as Christ is nearing uh, the point of his arrest as he enters the final and most crucial stages of what he came to do for us. In John 13, chapter, uh, chapter 13, verse 36, the Bible says, Simon Peter said unto him, Lord, whither goest thou? Jesus answered him, whither I go. Now watch what he tells him. Thou canst not follow me now, but thou shalt follow me afterwards. Peter said unto him, Lord, why cannot I follow thee now? I will lay down my life for thy sake. Verse 38, Jesus answered him, Wilt thou lay down thy life for my sake? Verily, verily, I say unto thee, The cock shall not crow till thou hast denied me thrice. Boy, there's a lot to unravel there. Let's pray now and let's ask the Lord to help us. Father, I believe you have a will for us right now. Uh, Lord, we may have things from our past, things, Lord, from this past week that are burdening our heart. I pray you'd help us set that aside. Maybe things that we need to do, Lord, after church today, maybe things to do this week, problems we know that we're going to have to face in the new week, in our future. Help us to set that aside and Lord, help us to see you have a will for us right now, right here and today. There's not a soul that's here today, Lord, that you don't have something for. I pray we'd all leave here with it today. If the lost are here, uh, someone lost here today, help them to know that and be saved now, Lord. Today is the day, Lord, that they should be saved and trust you as Savior. And for those of us who are saved, help us to find and get about fulfilling your will now, today. For it's in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Last Sunday, we did introduce our new theme for the year, and that is obviously now. Finding what the need is now, finding the opportunity that is now, and finding the work that God has for us to do now. Uh, We've had a lot of things distract us in the last two years uh, that have kept us from fulfilling and and following after what God has for us now. Uh, But now is the time. He told the woman in John chapter 4 last week, now is when. Now is when. That time that you've been looking forward to doing the will of God, now is when. Now is when we've got to be about becoming who God's called us to be and doing what God has left us here to do. Because as we said so many times last week, now is the only time that we have. And we're preaching on that and working through that theme about why the need is clear for us to get busy now. And last Wednesday night, we kicked off a message series that we're going to continue on Sunday nights. We'll continue it again tonight on finding the how to our now. Okay, we're calling it the how now series, not the round cow series, but the how now series about how we can practically put into practice what God would have us to do now. So we know why we should get busy now. 
All right, we know that there's a need that's now, there's an opportunity that's now, and there's a work to do now. So we know the why, uh, and we're learning the how. But in spite of that, I promise you, even though we're excited about doing what God has for us now, you're still going to find it difficult to fulfill God's will now. You're going to find some resistance in that. And I believe oftentimes it's because there's another question we need to ask. It's not why, we know why. Look, you don't, listen, you don't have to be a theologian to look around the world and see there's a need for us to work now, there's an opportunity for us to work now, and there's a great work for us to do now. You don't have to be a theologian to see the why. We're going to learn the how, but why is it still difficult for us? Well, there's a question that Peter asked in verse 37, I believe we need to ask this morning. Notice what he says. <clears throat> why cannot I follow thee now? Peter's not asking why. He's not asking how. He says, why cannot I follow thee now? Lord, I I want to follow you now. I desire to follow you now. But why cannot I follow thee now? I believe that's the question we all need to ask this morning. Why can't I? I know there's a need. I know there's an opportunity. I know there's a work. But why can't I? I want to, and I want to follow Christ, I want to know his will, but why cannot I follow thee now? I was reminded this morning, I was thinking about when I was a kid, just go fishing with my dad a lot. We used to love to go white perch fishing. I think some folks call it crappie. We called it white perch, and we'd go out, and we would have a 16-foot aluminum boat, and we'd get out there on the old dead lake off the Pearl River, and uh, we'd get out there with minnows. Some of you call them minners, but we called them minnows, and you know, the little fish that you use as bait, and we put it on there. we have a cork, you know, and we go around those cypress knees. we drop that minnow in there, and we'd fish. We'd catch white perch. It's one of my favorite favorite things to do. haven't done it in years, but I enjoy it so much. And I remember several times my dad would be at his end of the boat, and I'd be sitting in the middle of the boat, and dad would, all of a sudden, his cork would go under, and he'd pull one up. Dad's cork would go under again, and he'd pull one up. And I'm sitting over here watching, and I'm thinking to myself, what is it about his minnow that my minnow doesn't have? You know, for some reason, his minnows had all the moves, and my minnows just weren't getting the job done. And, and so I did what any good fisherman would do. I started meandering my line over toward his, you know, because he's got something figured out. I mean, we all have done it before. Let's admit it. You know, your buddy's casting out there, and he hooks a big bass, and slowly you start making your way around the pond, don't you? Oh, you ought to be ashamed of yourself. Well, I did the same thing. I started working my pole over toward Dad's. And next thing you know, his goes down, mine's sitting there. I'm thinking to myself, what is, he's got a secret, you know. Dad says, have these secrets about where the fish were at. And next thing you know, boom, he pulls up another one. And I'm sitting there, so I start bumping mine a little bit. Like, come on, man, do the dance to attract the white perch over there to you. And I still wasn't catching anything. Finally, I looked at my dad and I said, okay, what am I doing wrong? Here's what he said. He says, check your bait. Check your bait. Like, what do you mean? He says, pull your hook up. I pulled my hook up, and lo and behold, my minnow was AWOL. I don't know where he went. He just swam off. He just clocked out, you know, decided I didn't, want to, I didn't want to be the bait that day. But watch this. I finally figured out why I wasn't catching something. I finally figured out why he was catching them and I wasn't catching them. But I had to ask the right question. The right question is, what am I doing wrong? And I realized that I didn't have any bait on my hook. And it's hard to catch a fish when you don't have any bait on your hook, right? Well, this morning, the question we need to ask is, why can't I? All right? I I know that there's a need and opportunity, and there's a work to do. I know that. I'd be blind not to see that. But ask the question Peter's asking. 
Why cannot I follow thee now? You know, the Bible says in Romans 2 that God's no respecter of persons. All right? God's not going to say, I'm going to give them something to do and them something to do, but I'm going to leave you idle. No, God's no respecter of persons. By the way, you ought to be glad about that. It's not the rich and the intelligent and, uh, and, and the ones who have the, the good looks. No, God's no respecter of persons. He's an equal opportunity employer. God wants to get you a part of his will, but you've got to be asking the right questions. And this morning, many of us are not serving God or finding his will because we're not asking, okay, what is it that's keeping me from doing God's will now? Is that not what Paul said in Galatians 5, 7? You did run well. Who did hinder you? that you should not obey the truth. Here's this church at, at Galatia, and they did well for a little while, all right? They were doing well. And now they're not doing so well anymore, and Paul had to come pose the question, who is hindering you? He says, hey, you ought to start asking what's holding you back. Hey, if you really want to be a part of God's will and do what you were doing for the cause of Christ, you need to start asking, why cannot I follow you now? What is it that's holding me back right now? And you might be surprised there may be something in your life that's keeping you from following now. Do you know why so often we don't ask that question? We don't want to know. We don't want to know. Because we're afraid what's keeping us from following now is something we want to keep ourselves. You know, sooner or later you've got to get specific in the will of God for your life. Beyond don't do bad things, do good things. And look, as a pastor, I'm not doing the will of God if, if I don't get specific about sin sometimes. and call. There's some people, they don't want you to call sin by name. They don't want you to call out uh, heresies and fallacies in the world. They don't want you to call out television shows. They don't want you to call, they don't want you to call out uh, singing groups. Don't get specific. And boy, you start getting specific on sin, that's when the bullets start to fly, man. You start preaching about uh, the right things you should watch and shouldn't watch and listen to. And there's a right way to dress and a right way to talk and all of these things. <laughs> The bullets begin to whiz past my head. Watch this. Out of 100 people that come to me with a complaint, man, I can't believe you said that. I can't believe you preached on that. I can't believe you mentioned that specifically. Usually out of 100, only one will ever ask why. Why did you preach on that? Can you help me to see that? Do you know why people don't ask why? Why do you preach against certain things? Hey, why did you say we ought to do this better or quit doing this? Most people don't ask. You know why? We don't want to know. We don't want to know. We would rather live in ignorance and enjoy a life lived in ignorance than enjoy the changed life by hearing the truth. And so you know what? I just don't want to know. So here's Peter. Look, I love Peter because I have done just like Peter so many times in my life. I've had high highs and low lows. Sometimes jumping the gun like Peter. At least Peter's willing to ask the question. Look at verse 37 again. Why cannot I follow thee now? I've said this statement many times this week. Those who genuinely desire to grow have the courage to ask questions. If you really want to grow, there's going to be nothing off limits to God. You're going to be willing to ask the question, what is keeping me from following Christ? And I believe this morning we can find out exactly what's holding us back by following the example of Peter. And so this morning the message is simply this, why not now? Why not? 
We know why there's a need. I mean, look, you look around the world, there's a great need for us to act now. There's a great opportunity for us to act now. There's a great work for us to act now, all right? We know the why, but we need to figure out the why not. Why can't we follow Christ and do his will? And there's three things in the life of Peter I believe we need to see this morning. Notice, if you will, the context of this. In John chapter 13, we find that the Last Supper has just taken place. Christ has washed his disciples' feet. He's preparing to go to Gethsemane. He's preparing to go die for your and my sins. And Peter says, hey, where are you going? I want to go with you. Christ tells him, you can't follow me now. And then Christ starts explaining to him why he can't. But there's a problem Peter can't see past his own boastings to hear the truth of what Christ is trying to show him. Now, this is important, folks. Christ is trying to say, Peter, 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 this is why you can't follow me now. And Peter's like, no, 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 no. Let me tell you, I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do that. You see, he had his own opinions that were blinding him from the obedience of what Christ had him to do. This is important this morning. You need to understand this. Number one, notice it was his prevailing pride, and it's our prevailing pride that gets in the way of us following Christ now. Now, Christ tried to show him, Peter, you can't follow me now, but you will follow me later. And Peter's like, "Uh -uh, uh-uh, uh-uh. Let me tell you, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. And he starts telling Christ, I'm going to follow you. I'll lay down my life for you. Do you know what Christ does? Christ uses this as a teachable moment. He says, okay, Peter, I'm trying to help you understand that the reason you can't see what you will do is because you're too busy telling me what you're going to do, all right? He says, I'm trying to show you, Peter, but you can't hear me because you're talking over me. Now, why is this important this morning? Look, Oftentimes, we come to a church service, we hear the word of God preach. You might be going down the road listening to a preacher that you like better than me, all right? Uh, I understand that. I get that all the time. And you're listening to this preacher, and man, the word of God's being preached, or you're reading the word of God, and it's speaking to your heart, and here comes the Holy Spirit, and tries to explain to us, to you and to I, why we can't follow now. But all of a sudden, we get defensive, No, 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 let me tell you, God, look, 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 I know you said that I'm out of your will, but the reason that I haven't been faithful to church is because of this and that and the other, and instead of letting him tell us what we need to do to be obedient, we share with him our opinion, and we start sharing with him our ideas over his will for our life. I'll give you an example of that, something I didn't realize until years after it happened. If you know me, you know that I talk a lot, amen, amen. Amen. I just look, it's part of it. God equipped me for what I was called to do, okay? That just shows you where God guides, God provides, God called me to preach, and God helped me to talk a lot. If you know my brother, you know he's the exact opposite. I don't think many of you have never got to meet my brother. Uh, I hope to have him down here maybe before too long, let you meet him. He's the quiet guy, okay? He doesn't talk a lot. Uh, my brother's my sidekick. He's been my sidekick uh, growing up. I mean, he's five years younger, but we were always a team. We were always together, went hunting together, fishing together. We knew each other like a book, and uh, I love him very much, and uh, I wish he just moved down here. We'd be closer to him, get to go hunting, fishing a lot more. And uh, I was thinking about this today, that when he was a kid, I knew him so well, I could speak for him. We go to a restaurant, we sit down at a restaurant, we were working, even as in teenage years, they would say, okay, can I get your drink order? I'd say, yeah, sweet tea with lemon for me, and he'll have a sweet tea, no ice. That's what, always what he would drink, sweet tea with no ice. If we went to a store to get something, some candy or something, I knew what he wanted. He wanted hot tamales. 
That's what he always liked. And he would take the hot tamales and he would pour them in his Coca-Cola. Weird, weird, weird. But that's what he liked to do. And I would speak for him. Years later, my mom told me about some kids that were in our church and how the doctor said the reason this little one was so quiet is because the older one always talked for them. And you start thinking to yourself, oh no, I broke my brother. He doesn't talk because I would do all the I would let him get a word in edgewise. And I'm thinking, oh, no, the reason he's quiet is because I'm doing all the talking. And here we are as God's people. We wonder why we can't hear the Holy Spirit. Because we won't be quiet because of our prevailing pride. He's trying to show us. He wants to show you your now. There's a need that you need to be a part of right now. There's an opportunity you need to be a part of right now. There's a work for you to be a part of right now. And he's trying to tell us, but we're too busy telling him what we think to hear what he knows. By the way, can I tell you, what he knows is far more important than what you think. Peter thought to himself. Look, watch what he says. Watch this. Peter says, why cannot I follow thee now? I will lay down my life for thy sake. Here he is telling Christ. And Christ in verse 38 says, really? You see, Christ was trying to change a mind that was already made up. That's why, that's why you're not going to find your now. That's why you're going to miss it. Why? Because when he burdens your heart and tries to tell you what it is, you speak back to him and tell him why it shouldn't be that way. When he tries to show you you're lost and on your way to hell, you tell him how you got baptized. He's like, stop, stop. I'm trying to tell you you're lost. You've never been saved and you're going to die and you're going to go to hell. You've got to stop talking long enough and listen to the truth of what he has to say. And everybody says amen. But then he does that to us after we get saved. He comes to us and he says, listen, you're not faithful. You say, what are you talking about? I show up here three times a week. You know you can sit in these chairs three times a week and still not be faithful. Faithfulness is a matter of the heart. And he tries to show you that you put on a front when you come to church and you go out and you live a totally different way. He says, you're not faithful. But God, I come every Sunday and I look nice and I dress up and I wear cologne and I brush my hair. And you can't hear the will of God and you won't find your now as long as you're telling God why he's wrong. Is that what Peter's doing? He says, you can't follow me now, Peter. But his prevailing pride was getting in the way. Now, oftentimes we think of pride as what? Arrogance, conceitedness, snobbiness. That's what we think about a pride. But you know what pride truthfully is? Pride is anything other than obedience. Now, I want you to think about it. Pride is anything other than than obedience. So when God comes to you and makes his will known to you, anything that you substitute for that obedience is pride because you just chose something you thought over what God said. Look, I know we love our grandmothers this morning. Grandmothers are the sweetest people on the planet. But if you substitute your grandmother to obedience to God, that's pride. That's pride. By the way, in the book of Genesis, what destroyed an entire world? You say, water did. What drowned those people in the book of Genesis? Water did. Can I tell you this morning what really drowned those people was pride? They drowned in their own pride. So how do you know that? Well, here's Noah, a preacher of righteousness. Boy, he wasn't popular. Makes me feel good because sometimes I'm not popular. And here's Noah preaching repentance and righteousness. And everybody thought, no, we have our own ideas. We have our own ideas. 
God sent his man to preach the truth. He's preaching truth. He's preaching the the doctrine of God. And all of a sudden, they're like, you know what? I have a better idea. I think this is how it's going to happen. And I think this is what's going to happen. And they drowned in their own pride. The world we're living today, they're drowning in pride. We've exalted ourselves above God. We have better ideas. No, you don't need holiness to exalt a nation. You need intelligence and money. That's what will exalt a nation. We're going to drown in our own pride. Pride is anything other than God. The other day I was filling out a form online. I forget what I was filling it out for, registering for something. And I got my name, address, phone number, social security number, all that stuff, bank account information. And then it said it had gender on it. So I clicked on the little box, you know. I didn't know, you know, having a computer account has anything to do with my gender, but I guess there's an important reason for that. You tech guys can explain it to me later. So I click on it, and it had male, female, other. (laughs) Look, I'm a country boy from South Mississippi. For a moment there, the smoke began to come out my ears. What? You know, God created male and female. Man created other. Now, folks, listen to me this morning. We agree with that. We agree with that. But God's going to make his will known to us, and yet we're going to pick another. I can't come down to the altar today, God, because that's going to take too much time for me to get right with you. So I'll tell you what I'm going to do tonight, God. I'm going to go. I'm going to go out to eat and all this, and then tonight I'll take care of it tonight. Whatever you just substituted for obedience as an other, that's pride. That's pride. Anything that we substitute for what we know God has said. And here's Christ trying to tell Peter, Peter, you can't, and this is why, and Peter can't hear it. Why? He's saying, here's what I think. I assure you this morning, the longer you substitute what you think and what you desire over what God has said, it's hopeless. Hopeless. Let me give you an example. The Bible says in Proverbs 26, 12, Seest thou a man wise in his own conceit, There's more hope of a fool than him. There's more hope of a fool. I don't know if you know what that's saying. It says it's hopeless. You ever known somebody who was foolish? They're hopeless, huh? Hopeless. I I know a few of those. I'm trying to help, but uh, it's hard to help a fool sometimes. But the Bible says. The Bible says you see a man wise in his own conceit. That means, watch this, Holy Spirit comes to you, speaks to your heart, and says, this is your now. Not that, this is it. And you're like, no, but Lord, I already know this is what I'm going to do. That's pride. And your prevailing pride is keeping you from finding and fulfilling God's will for your life. Last night, we, or yesterday morning, we got up early. And uh, my wife says, I think we need to go to Louisiana and see her grandfather. Grandfather's not doing well. You pray for her grandfather, if you would. Just a godly man. He was one of the charter members of our church that we built up there. And uh, one of the board of trustees. Just a a great man, godly man. And his health is not very good right now. And uh, so she says, can we go see uh, Papa today? I said, sure. So we put everything else to the side, jumped in the car, and drove to Louisiana. And uh, when you get to Louisiana, if you've ever gone to Monroe, Louisiana on I-20... Right as you get to the Millhaven exit that is there, you notice what we call the Monroe Mountain, okay? Now, there's no mountain in Monroe, but they have built one out of garbage. I've been on top of the Monroe. I have scaled the heights of the Monroe Mountain many times because we drive our garbage truck up there and throw out all the garbage when I work for the garbage company. And as you come into Monroe, you always smell it. You always smell it. You know when you're in Monroe because you smell it. It's not because it's a stinky town. It's just because the mountain stinks because it's made out of garbage. And as we're, as we're coming to Monroe, Leslie goes, man, it stinks out here. 
Well, for about two, three years, my sense of smell has not been, it has been AWOL. I can't smell anything. Leslie goes, it stinks, doesn't it? I go, I don't smell a thing. Do you know just the simple fact that I smelled, didn't smell it didn't change the fact that it still stunk? There was just something wrong with my smeller. All right? My smeller's broke. And the Holy Spirit comes to you and tries to convince you, hey, this is what's wrong in your life, or this is what needs to be right in your life. And you're like, God, I just don't see it. God, I don't understand. Just because we don't see it and just because we don't want to acknowledge it doesn't mean the need is still not there. The problem is our prevailing pride is getting in the way of us knowing God's will for our life. And you're going to miss out on your now. You're going to wake up one day and be 115 years old. You're going to look back on an empty life that you never did anything for Christ, all because you had an answer for every time he convicted you about something. He said, hey, this is the problem. This is the need. This is the opportunity. This is the work. And you tried to convince him, no, 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 no. That's not it. Peter is learning a very valuable lesson here. He says, why cannot I follow thee now? I believe this morning so many of us are not fulfilling God's will because of our prevailing pride. That's why we can't follow. C.S. Lewis said this, there's no fault which makes us more unconscious of our own selves than pride. There's no fault which makes us more unconscious of ourselves than pride. The longer you put up an excuse for your obedience to God, the more you become unconscious of yourself and unconscious of his will. I was reading Obadiah 1 this morning, and uh, interesting passage in here. I'm going to read you the passage, but give you the context. Obadiah 1.3, the Bible says, The pride of thine heart hath deceived thee. The pride of thine heart hath deceived thee. You're lying to yourself. You're lying to yourself. Your pride, your excuse, you've lied to yourself, and now you believe your own lie. Can I tell you, we're all guilty of that. All right? During the holidays, birthday, Leslie's on the first, mine's on the fourth, we ate a lot of good, good food. And I go to put my suit on, and I'm thinking, man, it shrunk. I can believe that all day long, but it doesn't change the fact that, no, I put a little weight over the holidays, all right? Now, you can believe your lie if you want to, but you're never going to find the change that you desire until you accept the truth of what God's trying to show you. Now, the Bible says in, in Obadiah 1.3, it says, The pride of thine heart hath deceived thee. Listen to the second part. Thou that dwellest in the cliffs of the rock, whose habitation is high, that saith in his heart, Who shall bring me down to the ground? So watch this. The people he's speaking of is the Edomites. Do you know where they lived? All right? Interesting, interesting story. You've probably seen movies with a picture of Petra. Show us that right quick, guys. Petra is the city that was carved out of the rocks. You remember that? You've seen it in a lot of movies. These are the people that he's speaking to. And he says, the pride of your heart, what has it done? He says, it's deceived you, thou that dwellest in the clefts of the rock, whose habitation is high, that saith in his heart, who shall bring me down to the ground? You know, if I lived in that, I'd probably be prideful. You know those lowly villagers down there? They're living in huts made out of straw, and you get to live in that? I mean, he can huff and puff and never blow your house down. You start getting prideful. But what does God say? Your pride's deceived you, thou that dwellest in the clefts of the rock, whose habitation is high, that saith in his heart, who shall bring me down to the ground? Listen to the next part. Thou, though thou exalt thyself as an eagle, and though thou set thy nest among the stars, thence will I bring thee down, saith the Lord. God says, I can bring you down. I can bring you down. You know, oftentimes we are holed up 
away from God like they are up in their rocks. But we're not holed up in a city. We're holed up in our opinion. Well, I have my own ideas. Or this is what I believe. And God's trying to come to us and say, no, this is what thus saith the Lord. This is the truth. And you feel insulated by your own opinions and ideas. Sooner or later, you know what God's going to do? The same thing he did for them. He's going to bring you down. So number one this morning, we've got to get past our prevailing pride. The second thing, Peter, as we often do, isn't getting it. Christ tells him, verse 36, thou shalt follow me afterwards. Not now, afterwards. Peter asks the question, why? Why cannot I follow thee now? Watch what Peter boasts of. By the way, be careful when you boast. Usually, listen, when you're boasting, it's hard to boast in the spirit. Be careful boasting. Peter says, I will lay down my life for thy sake. So Christ answered him in verse 38. Christ knew what was going to happen, but he engaged him to help him. He says in verse 38, wilt thou lay down thy life for my sake? Wilt thou? Christ showing him the second reason he would not follow now. Number two, notice the cost of commitment. Really, Peter? Really? Peter says, I want to follow you now. He says, and I want to follow you so bad, I would lay down my life in order to follow you. Well, Christ knew what he was going to do, but Christ engaged him to show him something. Aren't you glad? Christ could have just told him to be quiet, going about his way, didn't know what he was talking about. But Christ says, really, Peter? Would you really lay down your life? You see, the idea of finding and fulfilling God's will is exciting, isn't it? I don't know how many times I've watched our theme video, going back on our Facebook page, watching the theme video. It's exciting to me. Finding and fulfilling our now. We're not putting it off anymore. We're not being distracted anymore. We're going to find and fulfill God's now for our life individually, the Andrews family, and Central Baptist Church. I'm excited about that. But can I tell you beyond that, at the very bottom, there's a work. And do you know what that work is? It comes at a cost. Commitment has a cost. What is that? Well, Peter says, I'll follow you, but commitment comes at the cost of surrender. Commitment is going to come at the cost of surrender. You want to find the need, the opportunity, and the work that God has called you to here for right now? You've got to understand the commitment to that is going to cost a surrender in your life. Is that what he told Peter? Look at verse 38. Wilt thou lay down thy life for my sake? Commitment comes at the cost of surrender. Luke 9, 23. And he said unto them all, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. So watch this verse. Let's dissect it for a second. If any man will come after me, that's a commitment. I'm going to follow you. I'm going to be committed. What did he say? If you're going to be committed, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. There's the surrender. There's the surrender. You know, commitment and surrender are two totally different things. Boys, I was preparing for this this week. I ran across an amazing story that illustrates this point clearly. It was a story that Adrian Rogers told years ago when he was preaching in Romania. He said, when he was in Romania, I think the message he was preaching was going to be on commitment. And the interpreter or the pastor that was there says, we have a problem. He said, what's the problem? He says, we have no word that translates into commitment. He says, what do you mean? He says, well, American commitment and Romanian commitment are two totally different things. He says, please explain what you're talking about. He says, well, in, in America, your Christianity is a matter of commitment. Let's commit ourselves to Christ. Let's commit ourselves to read the Bible. Let's commit ourselves to church. But he says in Romania, commitment doesn't exist. There's no word for that. He says the word we use is the word surrender. Listen to what he said. 
Adrian Rogers asked this question, what's the difference between commitment and surrender? He said this, when you make a commitment, you are still in control, no matter how noble of a thing you're committing to. You make a commitment, you are still in control. One can commit to pray, to study the Bible, to give his money, or to commit to automobile payments or lose weight. Whatever he chooses to do, he commits to. But surrender is different. If someone holds up a gun and tells you to lift up your hands in the air as a token of surrender, you don't tell that person what you're committed to. You simply surrender and do as you're told. Here's what he said. Americans love commitment because they are still in control. But the key word is surrender. Surrender, you're no longer in control. So here's Peter trying to uh, convince Christ that he's committed. I will go with you. I will do this. And oh, he is blinded by the prevailing pride in his life. But he's about to find out he may be committed to Christ, but he's not surrendered to Christ. Why? Because in order to follow Christ fully, it comes at the cost of commitment, which means at some point we've got to be willing to surrender. That's why we don't follow. What did he ask? He says, why can't? Why can't I follow you? Verse 37, why cannot I follow thee? Well, there was a cost that came along with the commitment. Matthew 4, we know it well. Jesus said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Follow me. You know what he's asking for? Commit. Commit to me. But wait a minute. What happened after they committed to him? The Bible says straightway they left their nets. That was a surrender. There cannot be full commitment to Christ without full surrender to Christ. And we have this American idea of commitment where we pick and choose what we're going to be committed to. I'll come on this service and that service. I'm going to read so much in this today. I'm going to pray so much today. I'm going to witness to whoever I feel like when I feel like it. That may be a commitment, but that's not surrender. Surrender is when he calls the shots 100% of the time. You know, I committed to my wife July the 9th, 2005. Haven't forgotten it yet. 17 years in, haven't forgotten it yet. But you know, throughout our marriage, sometimes the commitment I made has called for surrender. All right, not because she's mad at me and I have to surrender and wave the white flag and come out from under the bed. I'm not thinking, I can tell what some of you were thinking about. You know, surrender to vacuum the floor, surrender to mop the floor, surrender to empty the dishwasher. No, I gladly do that for her sometimes just because I love her and love gives. For God so loved the world that he gave. Love gives. Y'all do that every once in a while for your wife or your husband. There have been times in our marriage that for the betterment of our home, I've had to surrender something I wanted, my will and my way. That's surrender. You see, the cost of commitment is surrender. And folks, I want you to know, the Holy Spirit comes to us during the service. And boy, he's trying to get us to surrender and let go. Peter wouldn't let it go. I'll tell you what I'm going to do. Christ says, I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. Quit. Look, let go. Let go of that. I don't know if you know this, but we have a resident ninja in our church. I don't know if you know that. Brother AJ. Are you in here, Brother AJ? He's not in here this morning. He's up at the bus. Brother AJ is our resident ninja. He really is. Don't mess with the man. He's dangerous. All right? He's dangerous. If you ever come around the corner and startle Brother AJ, if you're laughing, you've done it before. You come around the corner and startle him, he immediately does this. Now, look, I, I didn't know him real well when we first moved here. Come around the corner, poof. You, know, you walk around the corner, you know, he's, he's visiting with Miss Sarah in her office, and you walk around, poof, puts his hands up. You know what that is? That's self-preservation. 
right? Somebody startled you, and then you put your hands up. I mean, one day he's going to hurt somebody. I mean, he's like Barney Five. His hands are, are deadly weapons. We're going to have to put some mitts on him or something before he hurts somebody, you know? Some visitor's going to walk in the door. Pow! He's going to throat punch him, something like that. It's a self-preservation mechanism. We all have it to the extent my wife has it. We first got married. I came around the corner. I mean, we hadn't been married but a few days. I came around the corner with a T-shirt over my head. I was pretending to be E.T. I mean, how scary is E.T.? He's this little old fat guy, you know? I mean, he couldn't hurt anybody. And yet I come around the corner with my finger like that, you know, phone home or something. I can't remember what I was doing. And then all of a sudden, (laughs) I startled her. And all of a sudden, watch, this natural reflex of self-preservation kicked in. All right? Now, that's good. All right? Somebody comes up to you in an alleyway, get them up. Get them up. All right? There's some scary folks in Hattiesburg. I've, I've met them out on the streets and lanes and the highways and the hedges. There's some weird ones out there, okay? That's good. That's good. Went to New Orleans the other day. You go to New Orleans, you better just keep them up. That's all I'm saying. Just keep them up the whole time. Get you a taser. Get a shirt that says, I'm dangerous. You know, maybe they'll leave. I tested positive or something. Maybe they'll leave you alone. Something like that. But here's the problem. That's a natural reflex. Key word, natural reflex. The problem is we take that natural reflex and use it against the Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes up to us and we put him up. Why? Because he's here to take something from me. He's only here to take something from me that's going to hurt you. What he's trying to take from you, watch this, is what's keeping you from following thee. You say, why can't I follow thee now? I want to follow thee now. He says, okay, give me what's holding you back. Ooh, I'm not sure I want to follow you that bad. Why? There's a cost of commitment. What is it? It's surrender. Warren Wiersbe said, self-preservation is the first law of the physical life, but self-sacrifice is the first law of the spiritual life. That's why Matthew 16 says, for whosoever will save his life shall lose it. Whoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. You see, you've got to lose it to find it. You've got to lose it to find it. You've got to be willing to surrender over what's keeping you. Look, Peter wasn't getting it. He says, boy, I'll lay down my life. Really, Peter? Because that's what it's going to cost you to follow after Christ. So number two, why not now? Well, it's the cost of commitment. That's why, that's why I hate to say I would love for 100% of our church to find their now and to fulfill their now in 2022. But I'm just going to tell you the odds are against it. The odds are against it. And I'll tell you why. Number one, your prevailing pride. God can't convince you of nothing that you haven't got an answer for. God tries to convict you of this. Uh-uh, I'll tell you why. So-and-so told me. God says, I don't care what so-and-so said. I said this. We got an answer for everything, prevailing pride. Number two, the cost of commitment. You're not going to find your now because it costs surrender. You've got to let something go and lay something down. But finally, I want you to turn over a few chapters with me to chapter 18. We're going to see the end of this story. Now, what did Christ tell him at the end of chapter 13? You're going to deny me three times. I can't tell you what was in Peter's heart. But I believe even when Christ told him that, something tried to well up on the inside and say, you want to bet? You just, look, I'm just giving you my opinion. It doesn't say that in Scripture. Don't call me down after service. It doesn't say that. But knowing Peter's personality, don't you just know when Christ says, you're going to deny me three times, something inside, Peter had enough God in him to keep his lips shut. 
he wanted to say, uh-uh. But can I tell you a really, really deep biblical truth here? God's always going to be right. He's always going to be right. John chapter 18, we see that. He clung to his pride, said what he would do. Look down chapter 18, verse 20, uh, and verse number 15. Jesus has been arrested. The Bible says in Simon, Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. That disciple was known unto the high priest and went in with Jesus into the place of the high priest. But Peter stood at the door without. Then went out that other disciple, which was known unto the high priest, and spake unto her that kept the door and brought Peter in Peter. Then saith the damsel that kept the door unto Peter, Art not thou also one of this man's disciples? He saith, I am not. Strike one. Verse 25, Simon Peter stood and warmed himself. They said, therefore unto him, art not thou also one of his disciples? He denied it and said, I am not. Strike two. Verse 27, the Bible says Peter then denied again and immediately the cock crew. Can I ask you, what was it? What was it that kept Peter from following now? Well, it was a prevailing pride, no doubt. What he thought overruled what God said. The second thing was the cost of commitment. He was going to have to surrender his life. And we see that proved out. And when it came down to it, Peter wouldn't follow Christ. Why? This is number three, the opposition of others. The opposition of others. It was easy to profess Christ when it was acceptable. It's easy to say amen in here. By the way, I wouldn't mind if you did a little more. You're getting better with the smiling. Last week was rough. Man, nobody was smiling. I'm thinking, am I preaching this thing upside down? You know, I'm not preaching first opinions. I'm preaching first Corinthians, okay? It's easy to amen in here. It's easy to get excited in here. It's easy to be bold in here. But wait till you get out there amongst the others. You see, popularity has a way of proving your purpose. Popularity has a way of proving your purpose. You say, what do you mean? Well, I'm purposed to do this, and I mean, I purpose to do that. Okay, okay, okay. Hey, that's great on Sunday morning. Let's see it on Monday when it's not popular. You're going to prove your purpose by what you do with the opposition of others, and Peter folded. Peter was not able to follow Christ now. Why? Because when it came down to it, the opinions of others mattered more, mattered more than following after Christ. By the way, that's something most of us will do tomorrow. We will leave our spirituality here, and we're going to go out and prove that we don't believe what we say we believe, all because of the opposition of others. Do you know how Daniel proved the purpose he was about? The Bible says in Daniel chapter 1, he purposed in his heart. Do you know how he proved his purpose? When it was unpopular. Daniel's by himself. You know, that lion's den, the best I can read, Daniel was the only one down there other than the lions. He was by himself, but he proved his purpose. Why? He proved it when it was unpopular that the opinions and the influence and the opposition of others was less important than obeying and being obedient to God. The people that in 2022 find their now and fulfill their now are going to be people who learn not to care about the opposition of others. I hate using the term, I don't care. Ask my wife, ask my daughter. I hate using that term. It just sounds so crass. I think Christians ought to care, right? Even if it's about, you know, saving the whales and sea turtles and straws and stuff like that. I think you ought to care at some point, you know. You know nobody wants sea turtles to die. What kind of sadist would you be if you want a sea turtle to die? But I've said so many times in 2022, there's a lot of things that I've had to learn not to care. 
I hate it when bullets whiz past my head, insults, digs. I hate that. But you know what? You got to learn not to care about those things if you're going to find and fulfill your now. Because those things will keep you. What did it do for Peter? He says, I am not, I am not, I am not. You know what the testimony of so many Christians today says out in the world? I am not. I am not. And here we say, I am. Look at me, man. I mean, this morning I went out on a limb with this kind of pink tie, you know. I asked my wife, I said, does that go? She goes, yes, I kind of like that. I said, I'm just going to do it now, you know. I can't save this tie until, you know, especially. I'm going to wear it now. The Lord might come back. I'm going to wear this tie today. Man, we look good. And the way we look in here and the way we sound in here and the way we sing in here says, yes, I am, yes, I am. But the way we live out there says, I am not, I am not. Why? Because of the opposition of others. If we're not careful, we're going to allow others to determine our obedience and we're going to miss the opportunity of right now. The Bible says in Proverbs 29, 25, I'll give you this and we're going to close. The fear of man bringeth a snare, but whoso putteth his trust in the Lord shall be safe. You've got to learn not to fear man and the opposition of others if you're going to find your now. I don't know what all God's will for my life holds this week, but I want to find it. And sometimes that means I'm going to have to shut my mouth and quit telling God what I have planned and let him tell me what he desires for my life. Get rid of that prevailing pride. Why cannot I follow thee now? His prevailing pride was getting in the way. Or maybe in order to fulfill my now this week, I'm going to have to to surrender some things I wanted to do. I'm going to have to lay down my life. He said, if you're going to come after me, you're going to have to lay down your life, give up some things. Or maybe I've got to learn not to care about the opposition of others in order to prove my purpose. One of the saddest things to me would be as a pastor to look back in December of 2022 and look back at this year and realize we missed it. We missed it. You ever missed an opportunity? Stings a little bit, doesn't it? Thank the Lord, most of the opportunities we miss in this life are temporal, but there are spiritual and eternal opportunities that God's going to send our way right now. But we're going to miss them because of our pride, our unwillingness to sacrifice, or because we're worried about what everybody else is going to say, that opposition of others. My wife and I were were laughing the other day about some, uh, some kids we used to know years ago when I was a youth pastor. And they would always say this, I just want to be my own person. You ever said, I think we probably all said that, right? I just want, I want to have my own individuality and my own style. The funny thing was, their individuality looked like everybody else's individuality. <laughs> because there's something inside of us that craves to be accepted by the world. We don't like being opposed by the world. And yes, they fit in. And yes, they were accepted, but they missed their now. Remember now thy creator in the days of thy youth. Remember now, and they missed it because they wanted to fit in. Now, folks, that's not just a teenage lesson today. Mom and dad, are you allowing the opposition of others keeping you from raising your children by the will and the word of God? You're going to miss God's will for your life and their life now all because of that peer pressure in the world. Can I ask you this morning, if you died right now, are you sure you're going to heaven? So everybody thinks I'm saved already. I prayed a prayer. I was baptized 15 times up there. Everybody thinks I'm saved. And if I go down there, people might say something. People might laugh. Oh, I wouldn't let the opposition of others keep me from going to heaven. My wife's testimony is a 21-year-old preacher's wife. When she walked the aisles, I'm preaching at a youth camp. And said, I'm lost. Thought I was saved. I'm lost. She says, I'm not going to hell for anybody. 
Can I tell you, I wouldn't go to hell for anybody this morning. I don't care who says what. I'll be your friend. I think Brother Heath will be your friend too. Brother Braden will be your friend. But if you're saved here this morning, I wouldn't miss out on mine now for anybody. I don't care what you say, what you might do, how you might laugh. I don't care if that means swallowing my prevailing pride, surrendering over my life, and not caring about the opposition of others. I want to find my now. So here's the question. Why not now? What's keeping you from following now? The good news is you can get rid of that and get on your way today. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Let's stand together. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Peter said unto him, Lord, why cannot I follow thee now? Can I ask you something? Would you have the courage to ask the Lord this morning, Why cannot I follow you now?